Open your Bibles this morning to James chapter 5, and we're going to look at just one verse this morning. James chapter 5 and verse 12. Marion Jones was a track star for the United States in the 2000 Olympic Games that were held in Sydney, Australia. And she won five medals. Three of them were gold medals. And one of those gold medals was in the very prominent 100-meter dash or 100-meter race. And so she was truly the fastest woman in the world, but she couldn't outrun the truth. Questions surfaced about potential steroid use. But Jones was adamant that she was clean. She insisted that she competed without any illegal chemical help. And unfortunately for Jones, she stuck with that story and maintained her innocence, even when federal investigators questioned her under oath. And come to find out, she had been lying the whole time. And because of her illegal steroid use, she was disqualified from the Olympics and stripped of her medals. But further, since she had now lied after swearing an oath, she was also guilty of perjury. And she received six months in prison and two years of probation. She'd been lying the whole time, which we know is wrong and we know is immoral. But once she lied after swearing to tell the truth, things changed even in a secular world. Even outside of any church setting, outside of any religious setting, People understand the seriousness of lying under oath when you've sworn to tell the truth. And we understand there are consequences when that happens. But that doesn't mean that it's more acceptable to lie if you haven't sworn to tell the truth. You and I should consistently speak in a way that other people are confident in our words, not just after we've sworn an oath. We'll see this morning that James is going to just simply urge us to be honest and be truthful no matter what. Look at James 5, look at verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. James has just previously urged these believers to remain patient and endure their sufferings, knowing that the Lord will return one day. And now it seems like James has gone in a completely, completely different direction all of a sudden. He brings up swearing. There are some connections to the context, and we'll talk about those as we get into the conclusion of the sermon this morning. But for right now, let's just dive into what he means and what he's teaching in verse 12 here. He starts with this phrase, but above all things. And so right off the bat, we see how serious James took this issue by using this phrase. I think we miss the point if we take this phrase, above all things, if we take it so rigidly, uh, or mechanically that it's giving us the number one on a top ten list of things not to do or something like that. James has commanded us a whole lot of important things to do in this letter, and I don't think we should look at this as, well, that's more important than even doing the Word and not just hearing it. Well, this is more important than even having faith with works. Or, it's not to be taken that way, 
One man says it, it kind of has the idea or the, the force that our word especially has. Especially consider this. Don't, don't forget this. And he gives this other command not to swear. Swear not. The way James words this may indicate that it was an ongoing problem that needed to stop, but it definitely indicates that swearing should never continually characterize the life of a Christian. What exactly does James mean, though, when he tells us not to swear? Well, he's actually not talking about profanity. He's not talking about what we call swear words, curse words, cuss words. He's not talking about filthy language and things like that. But before you get all excited, that sort of speech is condemned other places in the Bible. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. He also said, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. And he wrote to the church at Colossae and said, put away obscene talk from your mouth. So before you get, you know, all excited and everything, filthy language has no place in our vocabulary. It's condemned. We shouldn't talk like that. But that's not what James is teaching here. He's teaching something different. The type of swearing that James prohibits is swearing oaths. It's, it's when someone takes an oath that somehow invokes or involves God to enhance the idea that the person is speaking the truth, to convince someone else that he's being honest. It's when you hear things like, I swear to God I'm not lying. I swear to God I'm telling you the truth. Though that's the sort of swearing that James is condemning here. That, that appealing to a higher authority in order to strengthen or support our words. But one really interesting thing about swearing is that it's not necessarily wrong in and of itself. And if you wonder how I can say that, it's because God did it. Do you remember the story of God and Abraham and God is making these promises to Abraham? And he swore to Abraham. He swore an oath. And Hebrews 6 reminds us of that. Hebrews 6 tells us that when, when God was making these promises to Abraham, he swore by himself. And verse 16 of Hebrews 6 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves. And that's very obvious to us. Just think about it. When, when someone swears, they always appeal to a higher or greater authority. Nobody's ever said, I swear by my trash can. Or I swear by my dirty laundry, I'm telling you the truth. What in the world would that? Big whoop. It's always to something more important, more valuable, more precious, more meaningful. It's, I swear by my mom's life. I swear by my great-grandmother's grave. I swear to God. Well, you think about God swearing. Since there's nothing and no one higher than him, the author of Hebrews says he, he swore by himself. And Hebrews tells us the reason God swore that oath. It was so that we might have strong encouragement. That's a really awesome thought. God swore to help us. God swore this oath to strengthen and support us our faith in His promises. 
We know God can't lie in the first place. And you add that to the fact that he would swear by himself. How much faith and trust can we put in his word? And he did that for us. So swearing an oath to bolster someone's confidence is not in and of itself wrong because God did it. So then why does James give this prohibition? It really has to do with the way the first century Jews mishandled and abused swearing oaths. And remember, his, his first audience was these early first century Jewish Christians. And one thing that these Jews would do is that they abused the whole point of oaths by swearing way too much. What should have been taken as a very rare thing. I mean, you can't do it every sentence. Should have been something very rare, it became commonplace. Swearing oaths was such a common practice among the Jews that one author said, Jews would swear oaths to support almost every statement in life's daily relationships. Perhaps they felt maybe they were being spiritual somehow if they're constantly you know, pulling God down to affirm and, and bolster their words. Maybe they thought it was making them more spiritual But think about this. If you swear constantly, then what does it mean if you swear? It really means nothing. If you do it every sentence, then swearing has lost the whole point of swearing anyway. But the Jews swore way too much. It became far too common. In fact, it was so common that Jesus taught about it multiple occasions. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 23. We'll look, at verse, uh, we'll look at chapter 23 first here in just a second. Matthew 5 and Matthew 23. You'll see when we read these verses that James is teaching and what he says very closely parallels exactly what Jesus taught. I made a point one time early in our series through James that I read a commentator who said, James says less about Jesus than any other writer and sounds more like him than any other writer. And we see that again here with what James teaches us about swearing oaths. But before we look at Matthew 23, let me just kind of explain the second mistake that the Jews made. First of all, they abused oaths in that they just used them way too much. But secondly, they had developed this really silly tiered system of oaths. This We might call it a hierarchy of oaths. And they created this distinction between which oaths were truly binding and which oaths maybe weren't quite as binding, depending on what you actually swore by. So it kind of worked like this. If you swore an oath and you directly named God, that was serious. That was binding. You better be telling the truth. You better fulfill that oath. But if you swore an oath that didn't directly name God, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem, then you were sort of considered less accountable. Somehow it was considered less binding if you broke that oath. They considered themselves less guilty. And if that sounds ridiculous to you, then you agree with Jesus when he's about to bring up the ridiculous nature of that tiered system. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 16 through 22. Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, 
Whosoever, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it's nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. Well, now that's a real one. Verse 17, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Or it's the same word that he's a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whosoever, uh, whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth upon the throne. Look now at Matthew chapter 5. We'll read verse 33 through 37, and Jesus is going to do what he typically did during the Sermon on the Mount, where he, he takes what was an accepted standard, and he went deeper. He went to the heart of the matter. So look at verse 33 of Matthew 5. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all. Neither by heaven, for it's God's throne. Neither by the earth, for it's his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst, make, uh, canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. It was accepted that the Jews should not swear falsely in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you've heard it's been said. And everybody knew that. Everybody agreed with that. There was no argument. If you invoked the name of God, you better keep that oath. You better be telling the truth. It was binding. It was serious. But in their silly system, they would pretend to appeal to God a, a pretend to appeal to him for support, but word it in a way that was less binding. Instead of swearing by God, they just swore by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by their own head, by the temple, by the altar. And since they didn't directly call upon God, they felt like they had some wiggle room. But since they still swore an oath using one of these important things, it was still supposed to strengthen their statement. Basically, they were trying to have the best of both worlds. They wanted to appeal to God to have the appearance of truth, while at the same time not really be guilty if they were lying. Very hypocritical, very inconsistent. And remember, this was a common thing. They did this all the time. Can you imagine having a conversation in the first century and having to wade through and sift through all of these swears? Oh, what did he tell me? Was, did he swear by the temple or by the temple gold? Oh, man, I can't remember. Uh, that's ridiculous. And so Jesus' teaching went deeper. But I say unto you. And he went on to teach that all of these oaths are binding, even if you don't directly or overtly name God. And he taught why their system doesn't work the way they wanted it to. And it's basically this. 
you can't avoid God no matter how you swear. Anything you swear by has something to do with God. You cannot escape His authority. It can't be done. No matter how carefully you word your swear, heaven's His throne, earth's His footstool, Jerusalem's the city of the great king, you have no power over your head. And so in this, this tiered system, it was flawed from the beginning because they failed to realize and recognize the authority of God should permeate every single word they ever spoke. And that's how Christians should speak. With open honesty, with truthfulness, realizing the authority of God with every word we speak. And James says that at the end of verse 12 when he says, Let your yea be yea and your nay nay. And did you recognize he's quoting directly from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when James says that? Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. It just very simply means be honest. It's really that simple. Just tell the truth. You don't have to constantly swear that you're telling the truth. Just tell it. We should live and speak in such a way that people are always confident in what we say to them. Don't give them reason to doubt your words. Just be honest and truthful and show integrity to the point that nobody would even ask you to swear. Nobody would even demand that of you because they trust you. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie and that the devil is the father of lies. So who do you want your speech to sound more like anyway? When we lie, we're speaking Satan's native language, but God is always and only fluent in the truth. We need to sound like our Heavenly Father when we speak. We need to be honest, truthful, speaking with integrity, knowing that He hears everything we say. If we'll stop and think about that for a minute and we'll realize that God hears every word you speak. Whether you're swearing or not, won't that go a long way in promoting honesty if we realize that? I love the way one author says this. He says, since God hears all words... It should be for the Christian as if all statements were an oath sworn before God. All speech, not just oaths, should be true. In fact, later in Matthew, in Matthew 12, Jesus says that people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Not just the oaths, but every word. And so God, God doesn't just take oaths seriously. He takes words seriously. Maybe that's why James has been dealing with the tongue off and on throughout his entire letter. And so what if they didn't stop swearing? What if they didn't stop continually abusing and misusing swearing and just let simple honesty characterize their speech? Well, James says, lest you fall into condemnation. The word condemnation could just simply mean judgment. 
continuously using these self-serving oaths instead of just speaking honestly puts you in danger of God's judgment. I think it's real similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37 when he said, whatsoever is more than these comes of evil. That's pretty strong. Jesus taught that anything beyond simple and straightforward honesty comes from an evil place. It could even be translated the evil one. If you don't tell the truth unless you've sworn to tell the truth, that's evil. And there's a pretty simple word for you. Liar. In fact, the reason that oaths exist is because lies exist. Think about that. If lies were not a thing, then we would never need oaths. We could always just assume people were truthful. We would never need to appeal to a higher authority to establish truthfulness. It would just be a given. But isn't that why we use oaths in court cases? Because we know people lie. And so we appeal even in our government. We appeal to a higher authority in hopes that that person respects that authority enough to tell the truth. And when they don't, not only are they guilty before God for lying and disrespecting His name anyway, but they can even face civil consequences for that. I mentioned Marion Jones earlier. She swore an oath to tell the truth and she lied. Sure, she was stripped of her Olympic medals, but she actually suffered civil consequences for perjury. Even a secular world understands the importance of honesty and truthfulness when, when we have sworn to do so. A quick side note before we head into our conclusion. You're not disobeying Scripture if you're called to take the witness stand and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. There are some groups that, that claim that a Christian should never do that and that if he or she takes the witness stand and swears that oath that they are, they are breaking this scripture, and that's missing the whole point of the passage. Remember, oaths are not evil or wrong in and of themselves or else God would have never sworn one. Oaths can be valuable if they're used correctly and sparingly. If you swear an oath in a courtroom... Just tell the truth. And you've done nothing wrong. But anytime we lie, whether we've sworn or not, we're guilty. And if we flippantly and continuously swear, then our words never mean anything. Just be honest. Some of this is, is not too difficult to understand. Hopefully we realize that we shouldn't continually swear and that we shouldn't have to anyway if we're just honest people. And it's good to apply this generically and, and talk through it like this, but how does this fit the context of James specifically? Remember, he just told these people to patiently endure their trials and their suffering, waiting for the Lord's return, and now he says, oh yeah, and don't swear. There's a few connections with the context. First of all, suffering offers no excuse for dishonesty. Even when we're suffering, strive to maintain our integrity, our honesty, our truthfulness. And if you think, if it, does it matter 
if I'm suffering, it might matter more when you're suffering. Because sometimes our witness in front of others is loudest when we're suffering the most. So be honest even when you're suffering. Secondly, not all of our swears involve other people. Sometimes when we're suffering, we may be tempted to make a deal with God. To make some grand promise if he'll intervene. To make some bargain with him. Lord, if you get me out of this, I swear I'll never miss another church service again. Lord, if you will end this trial, if you will get me through this, I swear I'll serve you the rest of my life. Better be careful about those oaths. Remember we read from Ecclesiastes earlier in King Solomon's words. He says, let your words be few. You don't want to say something rash that you weren't really thinking through. God takes that seriously. Solomon said, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Then he gave us really good advice. He said, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Even when you're suffering, you don't have to impress God with some grand oath or vow. He's never asked you to do that. It's better to just be like Job. James just brought Job up in verse 11 as an example of endurance. Job endured those sufferings. And even though, I mentioned last week, he, he questioned God and he said some things to and about God that make us squirm, but he never swore any silly oath to God that, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll do whatever. Even Job didn't do that. But if you make a vow before God, you better keep it. It's wiser just not to make any. And finally, James began the letter by detailing how trials can produce spiritual maturity. And he since mentioned words off and on, and he mentioned that words can be a great indication of that spiritual maturity. And so one author says, if words are a test of character then oaths would indicate that there is yet work to be done. Think about it like this. If you've, if you've not reached the point where you can just be honest with your words, then you've still got some maturing to do. There's still, still a little more character building that needs to happen. And this, this same author mentioned Peter. He mentioned Peter when he denied Christ three times. And one of the gospel accounts tells us that Peter swore oaths that he did not know Christ. Well, what does that tell us about Peter's life at that point? There's still some character building that needed to take place. And it happened, didn't it? But at that point, Peter wasn't as spiritually mature as God wanted him to be. And, it, and to the point where he ended up arriving at. If we've matured as God wants us to, then we don't need to use constant oaths to prove we're being truthful. It's just who we are. We're just honest people. And we give nobody a reason to ever doubt that. Just be honest because God's honest. And God has promised in His Word that anyone and everyone who repents and believes in His Son will be forgiven. But how do I know that's true? 
because God's honest. Thank goodness he is. We can take every promise in his word and we can base not just this life on it, but we can base our eternity on the promises in God's word because he's always truthful. If, you've, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, that's our prayer for you this morning. If that's something you need to talk about, you can come forward in our invitation or you can let me know afterwards. Know that we're praying for you. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer as we prepare for an invitation. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Help us to be honest people. Lord, help our words to reflect your holiness and to reflect your truthfulness all the time, whether we have made an oath or not. Help us to recognize that you hear everything and use that to humble us, Lord, and to, to affect our, our speech in a, in a holy way. God, we thank you so much for this church, what she means to us. Please be with us and, and guide us and help us to be a light in this community. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.